0: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And Shana Tovah. Shana Tovah. Someone recently asked me how long you can greet people with Shana Tovah. Do you say it until Sukkot or till Hanukkah? <laughs> I thought maybe till Simchat Torah, but I wasn't exactly sure, so I uh, Googled it. <laughs> USA Today claims that you can say it all (laughs) the way through October. I don't know their sources, but it sounds sort of right. Okay, you're giving me the, yeah, sure, that sounds sort of right. The real question here is how long is a new year new? How long is anything new? Is anything really new? We could be here forever, (laughs) but fortunately for us, shana Tova literally means a good year, and that seems eternally appropriate. At the risk of overanalyzing this, I would argue that the phrase new year is itself something of a contradiction. A year is a cycle, fall, winter, spring, summer, roughly the same amount of time year after year. Months, broken into weeks, broken into days, exactly as we would expect. But the word new implies a disruption to the norm. Something different. Whereas the years are cyclical newness constitutes a break. And for precisely this reason, our classical sages never refer to Rosh Hashanah as the new year. A Shana Chadasha in rabbinic texts. Instead, we call the first of Tishrei, the head of the year, as in, a place to start the cycle. But not new. If anything, we traditionally see this day as the opposite of new, with its more ancient name, Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance. Our new year is yet another chance to look backward and remember in an eternal cycle of time. And though we might crave something new at this season, something to jolt us out of the ennui of days blurring together, or a chance to reset our intentions in life, our observance of Rosh Hashanah is not the ritual you might expect for that. We're not here today to journal. Although, I guess tomorrow we are. (laughs) There is no visioning board or workshop. We'll go with that. Bring the journals tomorrow. That's fine. It's not traditional, but fine. Whatever. <laughs> we are here in an old building, holding a hardcover book, praying medieval prayers, observing a holiday commanded in a text from 3,000 years ago. As we manifest newness in our typical Jewish way, we go back to what we know. We are a people in whom the past endures, Heschel told us. We like the old stuff. We tell old jokes, share old recipes, revere an ancient text. And famously, when presented with a New Testament, we weren't all that interested. And yet, here we are, insisting that this year will be different we commit to changing ourselves and fully expect something transformed in the year to come. New habits, new ways of communicating a renewed commitment to Jewish practice. And to do all that, a good place to start might be getting clear on what we mean when we speak of newness, a concept that our tradition approaches at most times with ambivalence. The first instance of new, or chadash, in the Torah is not in Genesis, where you might expect it. Newness does not appear as a motif among the days of creation or the etiology of all things. We can extrapolate from this that when God creates something from nothing, it isn't new, exactly. It isn't chadash. It simply is. Instead, chadash appears first right at the beginning of Exodus, setting up the Passover story. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. We know how that ends up. The biblical notion of newness does not have a spectacular debut. And thereafter, the root Chet Dalitshin Shin appears only seven more times in Torah, excluding references to the new moon. In those verses, chadash refers to new grain, or a new house, or a new wife. And in all those cases, chadash is presented as a neutral comparison to something that came before. Nothing notable, nor spiritual. Novelty is never presented as an ideal, just a natural state of being. Except in the final case, in Deuteronomy. When Moses prophesizes that the Israelites will one day bow to new gods, and for this he says they will be punished. Newness, for its own sake, is not the Torah's mo. Our eternal text is wary that its adherents might abandon it for something new. So, if chadash appears only eight times in Torah and fifty-three times in Tanakh, consider that the word zachor, remember appears a whopping 169 times in the Bible, which makes the title Yom Hazikaron a little more contextually accurate for this holiday. We are a people so fixated on the past that it sometimes feels like, as Ecclesiastes put it, ain chadash tachat Hashemesh." there's nothing new under the sun. And even when we pine for renewal during these days with the phrase that we sang, renew our days as of old, we can't help but resist looking backwards to a better time. But if we're not careful, our retrospection may get in the way of the work we're here to do these next ten days. Not just because it complicates our renewal, but because usually the past isn't telling us what we think it is. Frequently, when we yearn for what has been, we don't quite reach it remaining suspended, instead, not in the wisdom of the ancients, but in nostalgia. From the Greek, meaning a pain for returning, we feel nostalgic for a Jewishness that existed in some earlier time. Many of us grew up thinking that our grandparents lived in a sepia-toned Orthodox paradise, where every Jew knew the words of the prayer book, in tight-knit shtetls and melachs, with shared idioms and values and political commitments before assimilation got in the way. The time when being Jewish was simpler, as if it were ever simple to be a Jew. Dartmouth philosophy professor Kenneth Walden shares an insight about exactly this aspect of human nature. He writes, The fact that we cite simplicity as the cardinal value of the past does hint at nostalgia's true quarry. What we really seek in our nostalgic reveries, he says, is the inertness of the past. He explains that the past, in its preserved state of completion, doesn't present us with any real challenges. It may make us tingly to remember the good old days, personally or politically or Jewishly. But part of what we miss about the past is not having to face the complexity of today. For this reason, Walden explains, certain forms of retrospection can seem to offer relief from the burdens of agency. In other words, nostalgia tantalizes us with memories of decisions already made. But when it comes to choices we face, or we make to face our present reality, nostalgia can sometimes get in the way of us seeing the world as it is with true clarity. Nothing will bring back the politics, religion, ethnicity, or family ethics of post-war America. In some ways, as we know, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And though we might miss the past or even learn from it, if we're to face our present with integrity, we need to take responsibility for our reality right now. And this, I think, is the benefit of the word new. It's a reminder, a kind of cognitive behavioral technique to remember that we have agency that unlike when we visit the past, when we approach today, we are in the driver's seat. And we can, probably we must, make new decisions even if we don't know how they'll shake out. So we speak of newness, a new year, not for the sake of new, but for the sake of now. Many of you know, I think, probably Looking out, I know that many of you know that we're beginning to program events at the Center for New Jewish Culture in our Union Temple House. The name of this center comes from the work of our New Jewish Culture Fellowship, founded here at CBE in 2018. And it will offer an extension of so much programming we've done here to create a cultural Judaism that is alive. Though all the words in the phrase New Jewish Culture demand interrogation, it's the new part that is perhaps a little strange. But if we can translate new as now, then we can understand that the premise of the center is to demand a Judaism that speaks to us now. Elizabeth Sherman, senior curator at the International Center of Photography and a member of CBE, shared with me an important insight on the word new as it relates to culture and the idea of this new center. Coming from the contemporary art world, she pointed out that the push for innovation and, and the need to be first at something can sometimes be counterproductive, especially if it leads to the cult of the individual or the reinforcement of linear progression. But, she suggested, if new means now, it can respond to the moment, build on and challenge histories, point towards and imagine alternative futures, and Maybe most importantly, ask the kinds of questions that make this moment different from those that have come before it." Mike drop. If you needed further proof that arts professionals should be at the core of Jewish life, there you have it, folks. This is precisely why CBE continues to push the limits of Jewish communal life, both here on Garfield Place and at Grand Army Plaza. Our Judaism deserves to be new, not because innovation itself is a value, as certain industries would have us believe, and certainly also not because the old is broken or worthless, but because we all deserve a Judaism that rises to the moment, that tickles our senses, that surprises us and nourishes us and reflects us all at the same time. By using the word new, vis-a-vis art or culture in the new center, or for any of us in our own lives, considering how to make new decisions in this new year, what we're really asserting is that we have agency, that the past may be prologue, but the book of life is rewritten every year, and as the prayer book insists, our actions impact what's written inside. When we look at the greatest Jewish innovations in history, all of them were active responses to the exigencies of their moment. Faced with the destruction of the temple, the early rabbis took bits and pieces of what was and invented a portable Judaism we know today as the Talmud. The first reformed Jews saw a ritual life unable to accommodate the needs of modern Europe and so they reshaped the playbook and the prayer book to create a new one. And. Following Theodor Herzl's novel, Alt Neuland, early Zionists attempted to take the stones of an old land and create a modern democracy for the 20th century. Each of these was a moonshot, and each was imperfect. But each of these movements responded to their moment with human agency, informed by the past but without being hamstrung by nostalgia. Each of them used the building blocks of what was to create their now, not for the sake of newness, but so that Judaism would live as a thriving civilization ready to face the burdens of real human action. The Talmud tells us the story of two rabbis in the second century visiting the famous Rabbi Yehoshua. Upon their arrival, he asks, what new thing appeared in the house of study today? We are your students, they reply. We've come to drink your water of Torah. Sure, Yehoshua responds, but it is impossible for the house of study to be devoid of something new. He uses the Hebrew word chidush, which is the way that rabbis refer to a new creative reading of Torah. And the two young rabbis know exactly what he means. As they proceed to recount the details of what they learned that day, they mention an idea he hasn't yet heard, at which point Yehoshua shouts out, There was a pearl in your hands, and you sought to deprive me of it. It's a cute story. The elder asking, what did you learn in school today? And, like many parents, we know, not receiving the answer that he wanted. But this short vignette is the locus classicus for a rabbinic obsession, the chidush, or chidush, the innovative reading of Torah by which any rabbi makes a name for themself. We tend to look at the Talmud now as our repository of ancient Jewish debates, but really, it's volumes of rabbis one-upping each other with new fantastical ideas of how to interpret earlier texts. And chidush has always been the name of the game. And why do we need chidush? Why do we need new readings of Torah? The 18th century commentary, the Mesilat Yesharim, explains that every chidush, every new reading, causes the Torah principle to be clearer so that the evident and familiar receive a new light and shine. In other words, offering a chiddush is not just a vanity project of rabbis trying to be brilliant. Chiddush, chiddush, innovation is the way in which Torah lives in the world, not for the sake of newness, but for the sake of now. As we sit here tonight and over the coming days yearning for newness while uttering some of our oldest words, we have a chance at welcoming a year that is truly new. By passing through this inherited structure as we do year after year, we're able to reflect on ourselves in this cycle and see the ways in which we are new, and therefore recognize the agency inherent in all of us. If we were existing boundlessly, Unattached by time or place or tradition, it might be hard to measure ourselves. But by approaching this old ritual, we can chart growth against ourselves, not in a nostalgic dreamscape, but with the agency of what we need right now. It's in that work that we can speak of newness, a new year of good choices that meet the moment. And though we might not say, Shana chadasha to greet one another with wishes for a year that is truly new. Wishing people a shana tova might be just as well. After all, the word shana comes from the, the verb l'shanot, to change. A shana always has within it the possibility of change if we're willing to see it. And given that the purpose of coming here tonight is to celebrate the new changes that we're ready to see in our lives in this new year, perhaps the best greeting really is the old one, Shana Tova.